Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey guys, today on the show, very glad to have George Abreu with us. Uh, we're going to jump right in a minute, but first a little bit of an introduction. He's been investing in real estate, of course, for uh, about 14 years, started in single family and has moved into multifamily properties big time. Uh, wholesaling, hundreds of properties, fix and flip, 100 plus new construction. I mean, really kind of the whole gamut. Uh, and now these days, George is, is very active as uh, CEO of Elevate Commercial Investment Group doing the big deals out there doing the big deals and also uh, owns a construction company as well. So there's some vertical integration there. He's based out of Dallas and we're going to dive in on all kind of things multifamily without further ado. George, welcome. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me, man. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Thanks for jumping on. So we we're talking a little bit before the call about, um, uh, you know, kind of your, your story coming from Miami to Dallas, but I always like to dig in and find out what was that point for you in your life when you got into real estate, you know, the inspiration and then, and then what actually tipped over into that first real estate investment? Yeah, for sure, man. So I was, um, going to college, getting a electrical engineering degree, and was this in years, Miami? In Miami, Florida International okay. University. Yep. Um, at some point, I kind of realized I I didn't want to be an engineer. Um, I didn't feel like uh, the office work and being in a cubicle and um, that that was going to be my thing. Um, sure. You know, I also had the the urge to to build a good amount of wealth. And, you know, I, I knew for me to do that as an engineer, you know, I could make a good living, but to really build that wealth, it was going to be a little more difficult. So that's when I started looking and doing a lot of reading into successful in individuals. And mm -hmm. I kept seeing real estate come up, you know, real estate investing. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point, that's when I, when I really started digging into real estate. Um, I got my real estate license, mortgage broker license. Um, not that I needed any of that, but at that time I didn't know any better. Sure. Finally got a coach for uh, single family real estate investing. And that's when things really kind of took off. Um, you know, imp I started implementing everything that I was learning. A uh, few deals in. At that point, I, I had graduated with my engineering degree and I was working at UPS in the engineering department as a manager there, um, decided to quit um, and start doing real estate full time. So that was about 14 years ago. Awesome. So the single family track familiar, I think, to, to a lot of folks, it's easy to wrap your head around. You mentioned a couple of things I want to kind of dig back on a little or dig in a little further on, you know, realizing that cubicle wasn't for you and wanting to build wealth. Was there, you know, a movie you saw or, a, you know, a speaker or a book you read? I, a lot of times people can tie it back to, to something like that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I really feel like I just, so my father was a business owner. Um, several of my uncles are business owners. Um, a lot of Cubans coming to Miami 
our business owners in general. And I don't know, I feel like I just had that, um, that in my blood almost that I just, I wanted to build my own business. Love it. Uh, that's great. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. So, you know, at the top, I mentioned your bio, you know, hundreds of houses and wholesale deals. So that's kind of how it goes with single family. You get the hang of it. You make a little chunk of money and go, all right, well, let's do this a bunch more times. Um, and it sounds like you, you went down that path. So did you start flipping houses, wholesaling, all the above? What did that look like for you? <laughs> all of the above, but no, it was uh, a lot of fix and flips. And that's when we decided to open the construction company because to mm-hmm. scale the fix and flips, um, we found that a little bit difficult hiring general contractors. So decided to, to start our own construction company. We were doing 50 plus fix and flips a year at the same time, you know, wholesaling the ones that we didn't necessarily want to do ourselves. Um, some holds, some smaller multifamily, I guess that was the first taste of multifamily. We, we had a couple fourplexes. And what um, market was this in George? Dallas. So that's this after is in Dallas by now. Yeah, gotcha. I, Started in South Florida, did quite a bit of deals in South Florida. 2008 came. Um, we didn't necessarily necessarily get hammered. We just kind of got lucky. We didn't have a lot of properties at that time. Good. Um, and we didn't have any holds, so we were just fixing, fixing and flipping. But, uh, I mean, the prices were dropping daily. It was, you know, to continue doing real estate, at least at that second in South Florida, was, was pretty difficult. Sure. So that's when we looked at different markets and um, ended up uh, knowing a couple investors here in Dallas and came and visited for a while and couldn't believe what we saw. You know, people (laughs) here thought it was bad. You know, people here in Dallas thought it was bad, but comparing it to South Florida, I mean, it was doing great. So we made the move. Um, Haven't looked back since. Yeah, I love it. Forgot your original question. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, just talking about, you know, the market you were in when you started doing that stuff as you, as you started to grow. So you got, you got some exposure to multifamily. Was there a tipping point when you were like, all right, this, all these houses are crazy. I mean, that's my story too. Right. And a lot of people, I think that have have been in the real estate investment game is you just go, well, we can't double this business size. There's, there's too many pieces, right? Was there so you had some exposure to the smaller multifamily. Was there something that made you say, all right, we, we got to go bigger. What was the yeah, turning point? There? I mean, kept trying to scale, right. Kept trying to do more. Um, and at some point we were just so busy and, um, almost, I don't remember the exact day, but I, I remember almost kind of waking up and just being like, what, what have I done for the past whatever, 10 years, you know, what have I built? And it just felt very transactional, you know, it was from one deal to the next, one deal to the next, sure. one deal to the next. Sure is. Um, and I didn't feel like I was really building anything. Uh, so at that point, at the same time, my construction company had kind of, was starting to take a turn more towards helping multifamily um, investors and doing more commercial away from right. residential. And we happened to have a couple syndicators, um, multifamily syndicators as, as clients. And I got talking to them and I didn't even know a syndication existed. You know, I didn't know how that worked before then. I thought you had to have a ton of money to go in and buy these 200 plus units. Sure. Um, so Which you do, it just doesn't have to be all your money. Correct. Right? Correct. <laughs> um, 
so I mean, once I, I figured that out and um, I, that's when I felt like, okay, this, this will help me actually build the wealth that I was trying to do from day one. Right. Right. Yeah. It's such a different paradigm shift looking at these bigger transactions and it takes a little bit of adjustment, but um, in a lot of ways, a transaction is a transaction, right? I mean, um, the bigger stuff, sure. There's more, maybe more attorneys involved or whatever, but you're still having to get an insurance policy and negotiate with a seller. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of mindset. Uh-huh. But it's Just still kind of like the same. Numbers. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. I was looking at a mortgage statement today. You know, it's, is a $5 million. I need a mortgage balance for, uh, for uh, property we're selling actually. And so I was looking at it and I'm going, that's $5 million. I'm like, it didn't really phase me. I thought that's kind of cool that that doesn't, you know, I remember our first flip we did was, you know, $40,000 purchase and 10 grand in rehab. And I thought I was the craziest person in the world taking that on, you know? Right. And then now you do, it's a mindset $5 million dollar rehab, sir. Yeah. Right. And it, and it just like, uh, you just kind of acclimate to it mentally, but, uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's tough for somebody that hasn't done it to wrap their head around, but we've, we've done it right. You do it, you right. get used to it. Um, so you started, you found out about what syndication was, um, and then that kind of clicked for you. And how did you move into the syndication world? Did you invest passively first? Did you, did you get a coach in the multifamily world? Did you just kind of run out and do it? Or what was your, what was your approach at that point once you discovered this, this concept? Yeah. A mixture of everything you just said. No, okay. but, um, yeah. yeah, no, got, got a coach, got educated, um, did passive investing. Um, I, I wanted to, you know, see it from that end mm -hmm. and at the same time just started, started looking for deals. You know, once I felt comfortable enough with the education I had and somewhat knew what I was doing, um, I guess the next piece there is, is a lot of networking and meeting partners to kind of accelerate that growth and bring in the, the track record and the experience at first. Right. Yeah. You bring up a really good point that if you're trying to do, let's say a hundred unit building, um, in my experience, sometimes people don't care how many houses you've done, you know, brokers don't, it's like, it doesn't transfer. Sure. You've done some construction, you've maybe borrowed some money and paid it back, but what have you done in multifamily? And it's, it's really like, uh, I was kind of, I was kind of blown away after I did kind of my first deal on my own, how the tone changed with the brokers. They're like, Hey man, That's let's get a drink. Let's go to lunch. And it's like, Oh man, all you guys before didn't really care about all this little stuff I was doing. So you bring up a good point about, about credibility, right. And, and kind of building the team to leverage somebody else's credibility. And is that, is that kind of the approach you took to, to step into that bigger arena? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, uh, leveraging the aspects that we didn't quite have down yet. You know, we, we had never raised equity before, at least, uh, we had some private lenders on the single family, sure. but I yep. mean, we hadn't raised millions of dollars. So we needed to find somebody that had experience doing that. Um, we were good at being boots on the ground, looking for deals. Um, obviously we had the construction company. So the CapEx part of it was CapEx and due diligence part. Um, so really we just needed the track record and the raising capital. Yeah. 
that must have been nice having the construction company going into these things, right? Because that's such a huge part of it. I mean, you mentioned two things, due diligence, which is the work on the front end before you mm -hmm. buy or when you're under contract and then the actual construction. And that, that's a huge piece. If you're doing value add multifamily, that is a huge component that you guys already had in house, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's helped us um, evaluating the deals, you know, not, not getting surprised once we're into a deal. Right. You know, we, we know what it's going to cost and then um, being able to execute, which is probably the most important. Yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt. And execute on a timeline. What, um, so have you guys kind of maintained that process where, hey, you're going to run construction in-house or with a sister company? Yeah, we, we have. So for all our deals, we, we run the due diligence and the CapEx part of it. Um, and, you know, our partners enjoy that because they don't, they don't have to worry about it and they know it's, it's getting done. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, finding a GC is, uh, is its own skill set, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then getting them to execute. Uh, so if you got it in house, you know, in theory, anyway, you've got a huge leg up there. How have you guys treated property management? Uh, has it been, has it been all third party to date? No. So we, we've done a mixture. We've had a mm -hmm. third party, um, and then we've had, we don't have property management in-house, but we have partnered with, um, a couple groups that have it in-house. Nice. So you've got somebody on the team that's, that's got the management company or, or something along yeah, those lines. One of the co-GPs would have the, the management company in-house. I like it. So you're getting a pretty tight knit circle between management construction and the, and the GPs on the deal. Yep. Nothing against yeah. third-party property management. Sure. I mean, sure. you know, we've got some, some good ones we work with now. You just, uh, it's all about the asset management at that point. You know, what are you tracking and staying on top of them? Yep. Yep. So walk us through uh, kind of a typical deal you're looking at in terms of, you know, the size, the geography, you know, other attributes of the asset. And then really, ultimately, if you're raising capital for investors, you know, what are you, what are you targeting to do for, for your investors. And if you're, you're talking to somebody about a new project, what is it? What does that look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, we like true value add deals. Um, like you said, with the construction company, you know, that helps us come in and, and execute that, that, uh, business plan. Um, the more units that are not upgraded, the happier we get as far as the deal. Sure. Um, uh, most usually we're looking at C, um, maybe a, a B minus type of deal. Um, unit size definitely want to be above a hundred, hundred units. Uh, we've done. And, and why is that? Uh, because of what you can, what type of, um, employees you can have on site. You know, mm -hmm. that's really what it comes down to having that, that presence on site versus, um, you know, trying to get uh, sharing uh, possibly a, a property manager from different properties or, um, yeah, it just comes out down to staff. You know, you can afford a, a more professional staff. You can afford that presence on, on site. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So at 100 units, you've got some kind of acceptable payroll number. Correct. At 40 units, your payroll number is, uh, is pretty lean and is not going to support full-time people. So yeah, you really got to so, watch your expenses. 
Right. Yeah. So you're looking for 100 plus units, and I interrupted you there. But um, what are some of the some of the other attributes of the of a project you're looking to take down? Um, you know the the market. We look. We're we're open to to different markets. We're you know right now we're all throughout Texas and throughout Oklahoma, and we're willing to go wherever there's a deal. You know if there's a good deal, right. and uh, we'll look at the market. We'll look at different data. Um, population growth and other metrics that, that let us know that we feel comfortable with, with that area. And then um, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's nice to be able to kind of expand your focus. Um, has that created, you know, a bottleneck for you guys on being able to look at deals? I mean, if you're looking basically nationally, that's a, that's a ton of potential stuff to look at. How do you guys weed through or sift through stuff without just spending all day looking at, looking at deals or is yeah, somebody some, doing that? Well, we have somebody on our team that, that, that does that, but, um, we do have certain criteria that we need to meet and, and things that we ask for on the front end, you know, whenever, I say a broker sends us a deal or we have other investors that are sending us deals now wanting to partner with us. Um, we asked to, what's the average rent right now? What do you think you can get the average rent to? You know, what are the comps prove that we can get the average rent to? What's the asking price? Um, we do a simple 10% rule. This is real high level, but you know, mm -hmm. if, if the 10% of the purchase price, we compare that to the average rent and um, that that's really a high level. Like if, if it's greater than, than 10%, then um, we'll move forward. Um, and then let me see what else would we do. A couple other questions we ask up front um, right now with COVID-19, you know, mm -hmm. we, we want to know the reason for sure. Like we really want to dig into, okay, why is this seller selling? We see a lot of sellers right now that don't really need to sell. And if they're putting it on the market, they're probably not putting it at a discount price. Um, you know, we're believers that you do make your money when you purchase. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, you know, we've seen a lot of investors buying some at some questionable purchase prices. Sure. <laughs> to say, say it in a nice way. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, that's, that's not us. We, we want to get it at a discount. Right. Right. Yeah. You've got to be able to, you've got to be able to create some kind of advantage out of the gate and not hope for uh, everything to go right for the next, what, what are you guys looking at a five-year hold on these things? More or less? Yeah. Usually a five-year hold is what our returns, you know, are based off of. Um, mm -hmm. We have started to kind of look at maybe doing some HUDs and that's more of a 10 year play. Um, sure. But yeah. Yeah. The HUD stuff's interesting when you get a really long amortization, right? Just right. Uh, a little bit, a little bit longer close, but, uh, but there's some, some interesting stuff. What are you guys seeing right now in terms of, um, you know, acquisition activity, not to get too time sensitive with COVID, you know, I want somebody a year from now to get value from this. We don't have to yeah. totally go off the rails on COVID, but there's been some lender changes and things like that. Are you guys pausing acquisition activity? You still looking at wanting to close deals? What's, what's kind of your, your firm's take on things at the moment? 
No, we're st we're still looking for deals. We still want to close on deals. We're we've got one right now that we're working on getting closed. Um, awesome. So, you know, our take is we think this is somewhat temporary. I mean, we know it's going to have some lasting effects. No doubt. But at the same time, we're not going to let that stop us. I mean, we we still feel very strong on multifamily. Um, we think when this is all over and everybody looks back, I mean, it's only going to attract more to multifamily because everybody's going to see how well multifamily fared during this That's true. crazy pandemic. Um, yep. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. We, we've kind of had that conversation internally as well. It's like, well, we've, we've had this thesis about multifamily, right? That uh, it's, it's um, an, essential, <laughs> an essential service for sure. People can cut a lot of bills before they cut their housing. And, you know, we haven't been um, completely unimpacted, but boy, compared to I mean, gosh, could you imagine being in the restaurant business right now or being in the events Retail, business? Yeah. I mean, you name it, right? And yeah. so, uh, and this is something that nobody saw coming and housing uh, has done pretty, pretty well. So, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that kind of just reinforces what we're, what we've been beating the drum on for years, Absolutely. That, uh, you know, that, that, that housing is essential and, and a good, uh, a good spot to, to put capital. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, so you guys like to have that construction component of it, which is great. Cause I think that's, it's di more difficult to pull that, that off. Right. I mean, to really go in yeah. and do some big rehabs. Um, are you guys typically doing like a bit, a, a rebrand of the, of the property with, you know, new monument signs and everything, or are you just kind of trying to do an interior upgrade play or what's, what's the move there? I mean, typically it's, it's a, it's a rebrand. Um, I mean, we completely transformed the property. Um, I mean, we, we've done some, depends on the area too. I mean, you don't want to do more than what the area calls for. Um, sure. you know, we've got one in lot in Oklahoma, which, um, is not the sexiest of numbers when you look at it as far as the data. Um, right. but it's very stable and, you know, there we, we didn't do a full rebrand rebrand. Um, and we did just modest turns, nothing crazy on, on the units. Um, but I mean, the property is doing amazing. So yeah, yeah, for the most part, we, and it's the same concept we use in single family. So the way we found deals in single families, we went after the stuff that people didn't want to touch. They were, they were scared of it. Yep. Um, kind of the same thing here with multifamily, uh, not to keep bringing up COVID and I know, but you know, the bridge, so bridge loans are, are very important when you're doing deals like this and sure. the bridge market has been a little, little rough right now, but, uh, seems like it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. There was a period there where, um, we actually lost the deal. It was just the worst timing. You know, it was, we didn't have certainty of, of execution from a lender. For well, sure. if we can't get the lender funding. No, nothing else is happening here. And it appears that that was a relatively short period of time. I see stuff seems to be bouncing back, which is great. Um, but you know, it's a shaky, shaky spot there. And we've got some, some bridge, 
deals that we've done in the past. Um, what are some things that have helped you guys, the team, you know, if you're geographically dispersed, you've got deals in different spots, what are some things you guys have kind of done internally to, to, to function well, to tackle what is, you know, what are our uh, complicated projects, right? These renovations and you've got residents and all that stuff. You know, what are some things that have helped you guys there? Um, definitely finding the right help um, mm -hmm. on the ground. So taking the right. time and finding somebody boots on the ground in that. Is this like on the area. partner side, uh, GP or like on the employee side, you know, staff the property or how do you mean there? Both. Um, on the GP side, ideally we would like to find somebody uh, boots on the ground, even if they've only got, um, even if they have a little bit of experience, you know, very little experience and are just a small portion of the GP, mm -hmm. but just having those eyes on the property um, help a lot. And then um, with the construction, depending on how big the, the CapEx is, you know, in, in, in Houston, we closed a, a large portfolio late last year. It's got a $10 million CapEx budget. So on the construction wow. end, yeah. yeah. So, That's awesome. CapEx budget. Wow, man. Yeah. So on the construction part, you know, we, we hired a full-time project manager out of Houston yep. um, versus we, we've got traveling project managers, but this project was big enough to, to hire a full-time there. And um, I mean, that's, that's just made a world of difference. Um, so yeah, making sure you have the right team. And then I would say the other thing is making sure you have some KPIs that you're, that you're tracking and weekly and that you yep. adjust when you need to, if you need to make adjustments, you know, if uh, you're not getting the ROI you thought you were going to be getting, then maybe you have to adjust your CapEx budget and put, you know, we've done things like where we've put more money into our two bedrooms because we're getting a better ROI there versus our one bedrooms or vice versa. Sure. Yeah, that's always an interesting thing. I mean, we run a lot of, we all run a lot of models on the front end to make assumptions. And then, but then you close and it's like, all right that assumption maybe is not holding water anymore. You know, we thought we were going to do this. So it's kind of always interesting building that CapEx budget, especially when you've got to explain it to the bank and do draws. It's like, you know, you get six months in and go, well, listen, we really ended up needing to do this. And mm -hmm. this didn't turn out to be such a good idea. And so you, you've got to be nimble. And I think sometimes people get wrapped around the, the front end kind of analysis when, you know, in reality, those numbers, they may change. You got to stay nimble. You got to you listen to what the market's saying. You know, if, if right. some product's moving faster or is, is kind of pointing the way on where to spend your CapEx dollars, you've got to adjust to that stuff, right? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And the lenders, for the most part, I mean, we haven't had any issues with moving money around if we need to as far as right. a CapEx budget. Right. As long yeah. as you have well, communication with them and explain. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I get the sense from, from a lot of lenders that, you know, um, if you're, if you're making your payments and you're on top of communication, you're already like doing better than a lot of the, uh, a lot of their borrowers out there. So sometimes the bar isn't very high. And as a, as a, you know, an operator and a borrower, um, it's, I don't know, I've found the, the bar isn't very high to, to stay in good with the lender. Right. Yeah. I think they like us cause we have the, the general contracting company too. We make the, sure. the draws a hundred times easier instead of having to submit, you know, a stack full of invoices. It's just 
the GC invoice. And- Love it. Yeah. That's a huge, that's a huge uh, process right there. So yeah, that that's making a lot of people's lives easier. Uh, well, this is a really good overview. I, I, I love the, the scale that you've built over the years from, you know, not from coming into just a single family house into something with a $10 million CapEx budget on, on one project. That's incredible. So hats off on your, on your success. You. Um, wish you continued success. If somebody listening wants to connect with you and your group, what's a, what's a good avenue for them to do that, George? Yeah, we have um, some pretty good content on our on our website, which is elevatecig.com. Um, you can find most of our contact info there. And if um, your audience wants to email me directly, I can send them a couple um, checklists. I have a due diligence checklist and questions to ask sponsors before investing. And my email is george, uh, spelled Jorge, <laughs> J-O-R-G-E, at elevatecig.com. Perfect. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, George, thanks so much for your time today. Really enjoyed chatting with you and best of luck uh, moving forward. Thank you, man. Same with you. All right. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.